0: Our Heavenly Fathers, we bow here in your presence, Lord. We lift up to you <clears throat> the things that are on our heart, the request, Father, that we so desperately want to see come to pass. Father, we are trusting you to answer. We're looking for miraculous things to happen. And, Lord, as we lift these up, we pray to you in faith, believing that we have the right, the privilege to be here. Father, you've given that to us, and we know, Lord, that you have the power and the ability to work miracles on our behalf. So, Father, we are asking in the name of Jesus that you would step in, correct the problems, heal the sick. Father, deal with issues of our lives, whatever it may be. Lord, I pray that someday we will look back and be able to rejoice and to give you thanks over what you've done. So, Lord, we give you this time, and as we look into your word, I pray your blessings on it. Pray that you'd open it up to us and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, why don't we all be seated? About a week ago, um, I got news from my mother. I was talking to her on the phone. She said that my cousin, Chuck, who's about 60, I guess, he's about 60 years old, that he had been diagnosed with liver cancer. And she said that the doctor basically had not given him any hope, and they've since put him on a transplant list and told him that he has about 90 days to live if he can't get him a transplant by then. And so uh, all of a sudden he gets hit with this, and, and this is uh, like a, a just a smack upside the head, if you can imagine that, to hear that kind of news. And it was interesting because when I heard it, my initial response was this, that, you know, there's not nothing that can be done. He's, uh, it looks like he's going to die. And, um, you know, I know that everybody dies. That's, don't, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I had to ask myself, well, why didn't I pray that he would be healed? And why didn't I pray that God would heal him? And I think sometimes we run into this problem. That when it's something that is so difficult and so beyond hope, um, where there's no hope given by man, where there doesn't seem to be a way out of it, that we don't pray boldly. We send, we tend to, to step back in our faith. We tend to step back and pray in a way that, well, let's pray that God would comfort him, you know, or something like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Please understand. But what I would like for us to understand is this, that I believe that God wants us to pray boldly. Now, if Aunt Bessie has the flu, boy, we pray on that, won't we? You know, because, you know, in the back of our minds, we know that the flu is going to pass and she's going to be okay. So we have all the faith in the world with that situation, don't we? But it's in those impossible situations that I think we struggle. And I wonder sometimes as we do that, if, if we're not really shortchanging ourselves and, and God. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions, and I want you to think seriously about this. If you could ask God for one miracle and you knew with 100% certainty that you would get it, what would you ask for? If you knew that God would do what you asked and it was something that it was going to be, take a miracle to get it done, but you knew that he would do it, then what would you ask for? Now, it may be that your marriage is on the rocks, and you would pray that God would restore the marriage. It may be that um, you would be praying for your children. Maybe you've got kids that are wayward and off into things they shouldn't be, off into drugs, whatever, and, um, and you would lift them up and pray that God would miraculously restore them and bring them back. Maybe it would be a healing. Maybe you're just desperately sick or ill or know somebody that is, and you would pray that God would work a miracle in their life, that God would work a miracle for somebody like my cousin Chuck and take this cancer out and restore his health and give him his life. Or maybe it would be a job. Maybe you've been looking for a job. You desperately need the work, and it seems like everywhere you go, the the doors just keep being shut in your face. Or perhaps it would be for the salvation of a loved one, somebody that you desperately want to see saved, somebody that you desperately love and care for, a husband or a wife or a child or whatever it may be. And if, if God would work this miracle and God would give you this one request, this is what you'd ask for. That's the first question. Hopefully you've got something in mind. The second question is this. Are you praying for that now? Are you praying that God would do that in that situation right now? And here's the third question, because if you aren't, then why not? And see, this is what we've got to deal with. Why not? Why am I not praying for the impossible things? Why am I not praying for things that, that seem like, well, they're not going to happen? So why pray? Now, last week, we looked at this question. We answered this question. Is God willing to give us the desires of our heart? Is God willing to hear our prayers? Is God willing to answer? And we looked at that, and we we came to the conclusion, well, of course he is, because it tells us in here over and over and over again, you know, if, if my son asks for uh, bread, I'm not going to give him a stone, you know. I'm not going to do that. I give good gifts to my children. And on the basis of that relationship, that we are his children, on that basis, we have the right to come and to ask. We have the right. And not only that, but God invites us to. God says, come. You ought to be praying continuously. Give me your burdens. Come on. And so God has invited us to. God is willing to. But why is it that we want? And what I'm going to talk to you about today is this, and the question we have to answer is this, can God handle it? See, if we may know that he's willing, but the question now becomes, can he handle it? Will he do it? Is he able to? And we may not think that because we think to ourselves, well, that's a ridiculous question to ask, because here you are with a a church full of, of predominantly all Christian people. We all put our faith in Christ, and we know that God can do anything So why would you ask that question, that we think that God is able? Well, here's the problem. We look at the size of the problem that we face, and we conclude, that you know what, this is just too big. This is too big to even ask for. This has gone on so long, it has gotten so far, that, you know, my cousin's got 90 days, according to the doctor, it may even be shorter. It's beyond hope. So why even ask? And see, therein lies our mistake because we think that because it's the 11th hour that nothing can change. And we think that it's too late and nothing is going to ever happen, so we just give up. And I want you to understand that as we look in this today, I want to remind you that God is able. God is able. God can deal with it. God can correct. God can heal. God can work miracles. Because i got to tell you, and I'm speaking for me more than you probably, that even though we say that intellectually in the depths of our soul, I'm not too sure we believe it. And I want to encourage you to pray bold prayers. And what I mean by that is this. I want you to pray that God would work miracles. I want you to pray that God would work in impossible situations. I want you to pray that God would change hearts. I want you to pray for things that you would not normally pray for for fear because you're afraid to ask. You're afraid that God won't or couldn't or chose not to and what have you, and so you don't even ask. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, wait a minute. You know, we we know from Scripture that there are prayers that have to be asked according to God's will. And I understand that. And we're going to talk about that <coughs> in the coming—excuse me, guys. <coughs> in the coming weeks, Ronnie, I've got some water sitting there. Would you bring that to me? We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. Um, but here's the question I got for you. Let me ask you this: Do you know what God's will is? Do you know what God's will is for my cousin? Do you know what God's will is for Bob and his back? Do you know what God's will is in that situation that you thought about at the beginning of this message, the situation that you would pray for? Do you know what God wants to do there? I don't. I wish I did. I wish I knew ahead of time what God wanted me to say and what God wanted me to do, but I don't. And I don't think you do either. And until God somehow reveals that to me, I have a responsibility then to pray. And to pray for that 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 may be outlandish. To pray for the things that may seem to be impossible. To do whatever it takes to, to bring that before the Lord because God has told me to do that. There's an interesting verse in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 10:23, it says this. Jeremiah is talking about God's will here. Here's what he says. He says, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. Now, what is Jeremiah saying? He's saying, basically, I concur with you, Lord. It, It is your will. He's saying, I know that God's will is going to be done, and God has the right to do that. God is God, and folks, we need to accept that. And we can pray, and sometimes God doesn't do what we want him to do because God has other plans, and I've got to be okay with that. But can I not... Accept God's will and be okay with that and still pray bold prayers? You see, can I not still come before the Lord and petition him and let my request be made known to him and pray the things that I want to pray, the things that are on my heart, in boldness and in courage and in faith, (coughs) and still say, okay, Lord, your will be done and I'm okay with that, but this is what I want. And this is what I'm praying for. And, and this is what I'm, I'm getting at here, because it's that part that we don't do. We conclude ahead of time, depending on the severity of the situation, as to whether God's going to do anything or whether God can do anything. And we look at something and we evaluate it and we say, well, God has time here to do something. God has the chance here to do something, so we'll pray for that. That situation over there, man, that's, that's beyond, that's, it's just too late. So we don't pray for that. And I don't know that, you know, that we ought to not sometimes be ashamed of ourselves. Let me read you this verse. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now listen to this, it's a great verse. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power that is at work within us. It goes on to say, to him be the glory. Look at the verse. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, that means far beyond more than anything that I could ever ask or imagine. He said to him, that's the one that deserves the power (coughs) and the honor and the glory. I'm so sorry. He says that this power is at work within us. Here's what I'm, I'm getting at. I believe that we just need to start asking, to start asking God for miraculous things. And to be okay when God doesn't do what we want. That's okay. It doesn't shake my faith that God has a will, that God has a plan. But until God reveals to me what that plan is, then I need to be petitioning him. See, I need to be bold, I need to have courage, and I need to be praying. And what I would like to see, and this is where I'm going with this whole thing today, is that we would begin to be a church that prays bold prayers and confidence, letting God be God, but still realizing that we have the right to come and to pray those prayers in faith. And then to see what God might do. Maybe things we never thought possible. Maybe things that are immeasurably more than anything we could possibly ask or even imagine. Man, wouldn't that be great? But guys, we've got to ask. We've got to ask. I want to look at several things here this morning. (coughs) I am so sorry. We are kicking the flu, trying to kick the flu, but the flu's kicking us here at the house. And so well, I don't know if this is allergies or something else, but we're struggling. I want to talk to you and I want to remind you. Now, I say this because of stuff that you already know, but I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you of how in the Bible God has worked miraculous things to overcome impossible situations. There have been impossible situations that unless God intervened, it was disaster. And I want to show you where God has intervened, because I think sometimes we forget that. And then secondly, I want you to see where God has worked in situations where he has had to change the hearts of somebody. Somebody's heart, their, their decisions, their ideas, he's actually changed it. Now, this is important because if I'm going to be coming to God and praying about situations that are impossible, then I need to be convinced in my heart that he has done it and will do it. And when it comes to praying for people, then I need to understand that God works in them too. And just because somebody's standing in the way, don't let that bother you because God changes a person's heart. So those two areas. Now, let me begin by looking at this situation. It's in the New Testament. Let me bring you up to speed on what's happening here. Now in the early church, the early church, they went out preaching the gospel and they got attacked for it. The Romans attacked them because the Jews were getting upset and Rome controlled all the area, Israel. So when Israel was unhappy and there was unrest in the land, then Rome was unhappy. So the early Christians had the Jews and the Romans mad at them. And so what happened was this. They would be arrested and then they would be threatened. Stop preaching or else. They'd let them go. They'd keep going to to preaching the gospel. So then they would arrest them again. This time they'd beat them up and torture them and leave them in prison for a little while. They'd say to them, stop doing it or else, and they'd let them go. And they'd go back to preaching again. So they'd pick them up again, and then they would arrest them, only this time they would execute them. Peter, at this point, has been arrested, and execution looms over his head. Now they've already killed James, the brother of John, and they've already killed Stephen, these two great martyrs of the of the New Testament. I've already, it's already taken place, and they fully intend to kill Peter. The problem is they've got to wait till the Sabbath is over, or the Passover. I'm sorry, until they um, until they can do it. And so here they are, and they've got him in prison. And I want you to understand that when he's in prison, they have got him heavily guarded. There is a guard chained to each arm. There are 14 or 15 to 16 total guards there. Two on each arm and another 14 throughout the prison area. They are determined this man is not going to escape. He is one of the big leaders of the early church, and they were determined to take his life. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Here's what it says. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, the church is gathered in homes. They're praying earnestly for Peter because they know, they know that Herod has every intention of killing him. Now, here's the question. What were they praying? What were they praying? Were they praying for God to protect him? Were they praying for God to release him? Just what were they saying? How did their prayers, what did it consist of? Now, i got to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I believe they were praying that God would get him out of there. It goes on in verse 6. It says, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Now, you've got to envision this. This is the reason he's giving you so much detail. You need to understand this impossible situation. Chained to two centurions and 14 others around guarding. And it says here in verse 7 that suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off of Peter's wrist. Now, I don't know about you, but I got all kind of questions with that. You know? Here they are. The light shines in the cell. Uh, You know, they just advertised not here recently about they're going to sell us now, put on the market, these flashlights that the military uses. Have you seen these things? I mean, they're the brightest lights you could possibly get. Now, I don't know how that compares to an angel's light, but i got to believe the angel's light was greater than that. And in this cell, the whole cell is lit up. Where are the guards? When the chains fall off of Peter, where are the guards? This has got to be a lot of commotion taking place here in this cell. But obviously they were incapacitated in some way. In the next verse it says, Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. If this had happened to me, I would have picked them up and run out in my underwear. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm, I'm guessing that he was basically in his down to his skivvies there in prison. And the angel says, now, wait a minute, put your clothes on, get your sandals on. And when Peter did so, and then you look at this, the angel says, now, now wrap your cloak around you. It's cold out there. Now, you got to, you know, wrap your cloak around you and come on. So the angel told him that in verse, um, in verse nine, it says, Peter followed him out of prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. And they passed to the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. And they went through it. And when they had walked to the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Now here's Peter. Have you ever been awakened at night and you hear a noise outside or something? And you're groggy and you don't know what's going on. Here's poor old Peter. The bright light, the chains fall, the gate opens, the angel leads him out, and he's sitting there thinking, well, what just happened? He wasn't sure. He wasn't even sure himself what had happened. Then Peter, it says in verse 11, Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent the angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Down in verse 12, When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called, called Mark, where many people, and I get that, many people had gathered and were praying. He says, where am I going to go now? Oh, the prayer meeting. I'll go there. And so he takes off to John Mark's house, and it's obviously a large house, so many people are in it, and they're praying and you gotta you gotta see this to appreciate it, folks. In verse twelve, it says Peter knocked on the outer entrance, probably like a, a foyer or foyer or something, and he's knocking on the door, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was oh so overjoyed that she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Hey, Peter's at the door. And now this this response is priceless. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, it must be his angel or his spirit. Maybe they've already killed him and it's his spirit. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Hmm, I wonder what they had been praying for. I wonder what they had been praying for. Whatever it was, and I'm going to assume that they were praying that he would be released when God did it miraculously in spite of impossible situation, got him out of this situation, completely walked him right out the door. They were the first ones that were astonished even though they had been praying for it. Why? Because in their heart of hearts, they didn't think God could do it. And guys, this is our problem. Because deep down in the recesses of our hearts and the depths of our spirits, we think the situation is so bad That God can't do it. And this is what they were doing. The Roman army is guarding this man. Nobody can get him out. His days are numbered. But God did. God did. And let me tell you something. God has the power over impossible situations. It doesn't matter what it is. If I'm not convinced of that, then I'm never going to ask for those things. Let me share one more very quickly with you. This is this is one where in the Old Testament, Israel had gone into battle, and they were subduing the land after Joshua brought them in. And it says here that some of them, an army of, and it gives the number now, listen to this, an army of 44,760 men go to battle. They're subduing the land of Israel. What would become Israel? And so they go into battle only to find that when they jump into battle, they've bitten off way more than they can chew. And the enemy has outnumbered them probably three or four to one. Now it says here in 1 Chronicles chapter 5 verse 20, they were helped in fighting them and God delivered the Hagrites and all their allies into their hands. Because they cried out to him during the battle. He answered their prayer because they trusted in him. God came to their aid, gave their enemy into their hands because in the middle of the battle, now watch this, in the middle of the battle, when they were outnumbered and losing and getting their hineys kicked, God came to their aid because otherwise they were doomed. They had bitten off way more than they could chew. They jumped right in the middle of a hornet's nest. And it says that God did it because because they cried out to him. And because they trusted him, God did it. And they won the victory. Now, here's the, here's the part I want you to see. And you'd have to read down below it, and I'm not going to show all that to you, to understand what took place. 44,000 men go up against an army, find out it's way more than they can than handle. The Bible goes on to say that after they had slain many of the enemy... They took captive a hundred thousand people. A hundred thousand. Oh my gosh. If that's what they took captive, how many died? They were, they jumped into the middle of a mess. It was impossible, humanly impossible to win. And yet they did. Why? Because in the middle of this mess, this impossible situation, they cried out to me and I came to their aid. Because they trusted me and I came to their aid. Now guys, listen to me. It's the impossible situations that you and I have got to deal with. And we, we pray for everything, but we've got to get away from just praying safe prayer. You know, we're, we're good at that as Christians because we, you know, we know that God's going to do something or even if he doesn't, it'll probably happen anyway. You know, medical science, all the other things. They'll be alright. But we, you know, we'll pray for them. But give me a guy that's got 90 days to live because he's got cancer and I'm not led to pray for him. Why? Because deep down in the recesses of my heart, I don't believe God's gonna do anything. Because it's too far gone. And this is what we've gotta change. Because I believe that with all my heart that if we changed, that God would start doing things miraculously simply because we cried out to Him. That's the only reason. So that's the impossible situation, circumstances. Let me move quickly to the next one. God has power over the human heart. Now this is important because if we understand this, then it changes again the way we pray. What do we mean by the human heart? Well, we're talking about persons, their desires, their feelings, their ideas, and their decisions. That's what the Bible means when it says it talks about a man's heart. It's talking about the seat of his emotions, what he thinks, feels, does, how he responds to things, that sort of thing. Now, I want you to watch this because the Bible is very clear that God controls hearts. God can change a heart. God can change the mind of an individual. And this is important because there will be times in your life where you are praying for something, but the biggest obstacle in God answering your prayer, or at least you believing that it's going to be answered, is that individual. I believe God can do things, he can move mountains, but he can't change that heart. Watch. Second Chronicles thirty six, twenty two, listen to this. In the first year of King of Cyrus, King of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, King of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm, and also put it in writing. God moved on a pagan king to make him do something that God wanted him to do. He changed his heart. Oh, wait a minute. Well, he said, "Well, wait a minute, what about the king's free will? God overrode the free will. See, we're scared to admit that. We don't want to say that. Why not? Because as long as God can override a person's free will, I got a chance of praying. I can pray for something, and God overrides their stubbornness. Listen to this one in Proverbs chapter sixteen, verse seven. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. Wow. When God is pleased with my life and the way that I'm living, then God makes my enemies like me. Well, we could all use that, couldn't we? My goodness. But again, you've got God changing the heart of your enemies toward you. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all those signs were fulfilled that day. Saul, arrogant, stubborn, did his own thing. God says, I changed it. This one last one. It says in Proverbs chapter two, I'm sorry, chapter twenty one. Verse 1, it says, In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. God is saying He God takes a king's heart, a government official's heart, and changes it and directs it toward you in the manner of blessing and goodwill. God's changing it, you see. Now, how does that apply to you and me? Well, think about it. How many enemies do you have? It could be a, a, a tax collector, you know? It could be the IRS coming after you and it's unfair and uh, they're dogging you and they're suing you and all this other stuff, an enemy. Well are you praying about that? Because you know what? The heart of the of the tax collector is in the hand of God. Why not pray for that? You know, you're a um you're in school and you're being bullied. Somebody that's bigger and older and meaner than you. Do you believe that the heart of that individual is in the hand of God, that God can change it and alter it? Then why not pray? Why not pray that God would take and change this situation, that God would make this person at peace with you? Ask God for that. It seems impossible, but wait a minute. If God can change the heart, then why not pray for it? Your boss... Man, maybe you're getting, not getting along very well and you, you don't understand why, but it's just something is not working and well, why not pray? Rather than praying that he dies, like a lot of us do, yeah, why don't we pray that God would change his heart? Why don't we pray that God would do something in the man to, to make him a lot more friendly toward you? But guys, listen to me because this is the big one here, okay? Here's the big one where this Particular truth comes to play, comes to bear. When you and I are praying for the salvation of someone we love. How many times have you looked at an individual, your your spouse or your, your children, or, or, or somebody that you desperately love, and you conclude that they are too far from God that not even God can reach them? They are so far away in their sin and in their degradation. And in their lifestyle, then not only God, God can't even do anything. So you have a tendency now to give up because you are scared to pray a bold prayer. But now wait a minute. Because if God has their heart in his hand and God can change it, then why aren't we being bold in the way that we pray? Why aren't we praying that God would save that individual? Let me show you something, okay? It's in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul. And he's saying in in verse 1, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now, Paul was burdened for the Jews. He had been right there with them. God saves his soul. That alone is, is an example of God overriding somebody's free will, but... And now he looks back at these guys and he's praying desperately for them. Now, here's the question, okay? Paul says, I'm praying for the Jews. That is my heart's desire and prayer that they would be saved. Here's the question. In his prayer, what did he say? How was he praying? Now, this is important. How do you pray for an unsaved person? Sometimes we just nibble all around the edges. Lord, I I pray you just somehow bring somebody into their life to to give them guidance and direction and, and Lord that somehow they would, somehow this would happen, somehow that would happen. Why don't we just pray, God save them? God just save them. You change their stubborn heart. Lord, you knock them down to their knees to where they can't do anything but surrender to you. Do whatever you have to do, but you have control. Their heart is in your hand. Now, please intervene. Why not? How do you think Paul was praying? The Jewish people were the most stubborn people of all. Plus, God had put blinders on the nation as a whole. Paul would not beating around the bush. Paul understood God's sovereignty and God intervening in an individual's life. And he understood how to pray. Now, right now, some of you have got loved ones that you so desperately want to see saved. Then you need to stop beating around the bush with wimpy prayers and start praying that God would save them. And don't be afraid to do that. You go to God in desperation saying, Lord, They are so far from you that in my spirit, in the human being, I don't think it's ever going to change. But, Lord, I know from the scriptures that it's different. I know the truth of what your scripture says, and I know that you hold in your hand their life, their decision, their will. And, Lord, I'm praying that you would change them. Make them hungry, Lord. I've prayed for God to destroy people's lives. Knock them to their knees, take everything away from them, break them. But God, don't let them go to hell. And folks, this is how we need to be praying. We're afraid to do that. And I want, I really am am asking and pleading with us that we become bold in the way that we pray. And stop beating around the bush. Let's ask God for what we want. And again, understanding that God is God. And when things don't happen, which that happens quite often. we're okay with that because I acknowledge at the same time, God is God. And God has a plan that I may not know about, but he's told me to come. He's told me to come into his presence with all the burdens on my heart and don't be ashamed or afraid. So when I come, come boldly. We're told in scripture, come boldly to the throne of grace that you might find mercy to help in time of need. Let's do that. See, let's be those kind of Christians. Let me read you this this verse. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. He never has. And so if they can bring Peter out of a cell miraculously, if he can save the armies of Israel miraculously, if he can change the hearts of kings and whatever miraculously, then we need to understand that he's still in that business. And there's all kind of reasons, and we can talk about the theological reasons of why we don't see as many miracles today as they did back then. There's reasons for that. But nowhere do we find in Scripture that God stopped working miraculously. And you and I have got to start trusting God and looking for things and expecting God to work. So again, we go back to that first question. What is it that you want? If you knew that God would do it, what is it that you would ask for? Then start asking for that. Be bold enough to ask that God would do something miraculous in your life. If you're here this morning, and maybe if I were to ask you this question, that if you were to die today, what would happen to you? Maybe you don't know that. Nobody's ever taken the time to share that with you. Let me tell you something. Don't start packing up, okay? You're not leaving until I let you go. <laughs> Every time we go into this part, you guys, close your Bibles and you're done. Just listen. If there's one person in here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is important. You know, you're here today for a reason. I've got to believe that God brought you here, that God led you here. You're looking for something. You may not know what it is, but I do. I know what you're looking for. You're looking for the Lord, and you don't know where he is. You don't know how to find him. You're looking for salvation, forgiveness, peace, and joy, and all these things that God says can be yours. They can. You know, the Bible says that you and I are sinners. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all done things wrong. But the Bible says that God loves you and me. He loves us so much that he sent a sacrifice, a substitute. Jesus came down from heaven to earth. He died on the cross. And God the Father laid upon him all of the sins of the world. That's yours too. From the time you're born to the time you die, Jesus took them all, laid them on himself. He says, I made the payment for them. They're covered. You're covered. If you put your faith in me, if you receive it and make it yours. And this is what we talk mean by the, the term faith. You're trusting in, you're believing in what God has done for you. And you're making it your own. Now, listen to this one last verse, and then I'm going to let you go. It's in the the book of John, chapter 5, verse 24. Listen to it. This is Jesus talking. He says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Now, guys, listen to this verse, okay? You hear the word of God, you hear what the Lord is saying to you, and you believe what it says. You believe Him who sent me to die for you, He says. You believe that what I'm telling you is true. You first of all have eternal life. It says it very clearly. You have eternal life. Not only that, but you will never be condemned. You will never stand before God to be condemned as a lost person. Never. This is grace. But here's the part I want you to see. There are two conditions in the world. There's a pool of people that are lost and without Christ, and there are the pool of people that are believers. That's the only two. Now, there are good people in both, and what have you. There are bad people in both. But there are the lost people, and then there are the believers. He says, when you put your faith in Christ, you have crossed over from death... Lost people into life saved believers. You've crossed over. I can stand up here and tell you this morning that I know for sure that if I died today, I'd be in heaven. Not because I'm a good person, but because I crossed over. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ many years ago, the Lord took me out of humanity's pool of lostness, of death. And placed me into his family. And it's all by faith. Will you trust him? It's just that simple. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Just give me a couple minutes and I'll let you go. But just listen. If you're here this morning and you want to cross over. If you want to move from the pool of lost humanity. Death. Into the family of God. God then do that right where you sit. It's as simple as this, that you turn to God in faith and say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. My life is shameful. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. He took all my sins. You love me that much. And right now, I'm trusting you. I'm calling on you to save me, to forgive me. I believe in you. God says you have now crossed over. It's a wonderful place to be. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you come up here. I just want to know as I close in prayer that I've made it clear enough for you to understand. I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up and put it back down and say, Pastor, I'm trusting Christ this morning. I'm crossing over. God bless you. Anyone else? I'm crossing over. I'm calling on the Lord right now. God bless you. Anyone else? Heavenly Father, as we bow here in your presence, Father, we are grateful for the gift of salvation, the message of the cross and of the grace that you give us so freely. And Father, we are so grateful for the privilege of prayer. And Lord, for all of us now, I pray. I pray especially for these that have responded today, that have put their faith in you. That, Father, you would bless them and guard them and protect them and guide them. I pray that all the questions they have can be answered. And, Lord, I pray that their faith would grow from this point to where they draw closer to you in every way. But, Lord, there's one way in particular I pray for them, as well as everyone else. That all of us would begin to pray boldly. And whatever their problems may be, that they would have the courage and the faith to come boldly into the throne of grace. And lay them at your feet. Father, help us to be that kind of people. Let us pray bold prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.